I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking to Robert Schwartz from Tufts Medical Center in Boston and former Deputy Editor of the Journal, who's written a perspective article on the history of cancer research and Siddhartha Mukherjee's book, The Emperor of All Maladies. Dr. Schwartz, you note that Mukherjee describes the great surge in oncology that began in 1965. What happened in 1965 to begin this surge, and what were the discoveries that fueled it? Well, I picked 1965 uh, in a rather arbitrary way. I could have picked 1966 or 1963, but it's 1965 plus or minus three or four years. And there was a, a huge ferment at the time, which was sparked principally by the realization that combining anti-cancer drugs, which was much better than giving them one at a time. Combination chemotherapy, which was uh, initiated at the NIH by uh, Holland and Fry and Freireich uh, against the childhood leukemia, uh, was the opening gun in 1965. They were inspired by work that was done in tuberculosis, which showed that combination chemotherapy against that infection was much better than one drug at a time. And then the DeVita group at the NIH came up with a combination for the treatment of Hodgkin's disease in which the um, complete remission rate went from zero to 80% and created a sensation. All that happened in 1965. But of course, there were other things that, uh, that happened in 1965. Um, one of them which I found um, of great interest is an experimental leukemia uh, called L1210, in which it was shown that a single leukemic cell injected into a mouse could kill the animal of leukemia within a matter of weeks. What is important is the demonstration that chemotherapy could cure the mouse of this leukemia, which means that chemotherapy was able to eliminate a, every single last cell of this fatal form of leukemia. 1965 was also uh, the time of discovery of the taxanes which are still in use and still extremely useful drugs, and also of the platinum compounds in 1965. So I think 65 uh, can be called a very important year in this surge that began. You go on to say that a high point of the surge was the development in the late 1990s of imatinib, or Gleevec, for chronic myelogenous leukemia. What was the feeling of the oncology community about imatinib and the new direction it seemed to be pointing in? Great excitement. I was at the American Society of Hematology meeting uh, when this um, study was presented at the plenary session. And uh, the, when it was finished, the audience rose and gave um, Dr. Drucker a standing ovation. 
which rarely happens at the American Society of Hematology, because everyone in the audience realized that this was something new, a new principle. Uh, and uh, it created an enormous excitement in the field. You say that genomic analysis has been a disappointment. Can you explain why that is? Well, quite simply, not much has come of it. Uh, the investment has been enormous. The investment by the National Institutes of Health and the billions invested by the pharmaceutical industry uh, using molecular techniques and extremely sophisticated methods of statistical analysis and thousands and thousands of samples of cancer uh, subjected to uh, genetic analysis has all yielded interesting data, but the system is so complex that all this interesting data has not been disentangled and nothing useful has come of it. Do you see a future there, or does this seem yes. to be a dead end? I think that um, that the approach used uh, has to be modified. The approach used was open-ended. Namely, there's no prior hypothesis. We'll just go fishing, and we'll see what comes up. And that uh, that is an idea that many scientists don't like. They, because there's no real thought behind it. And there are contrasting uh, discoveries which have turned out to be very useful and which were made as a result of somebody sitting down and thinking. So this massive open-ended attack, uh, I think, is sort of cooling down now because it, it really hasn't worked. You mentioned a few especially useful or promising developments based on findings in molecular biology, such as the hedgehog signaling pathway and mutations of the BRAF kinase gene. Are these discoveries being made in a systematic way? Or actually, I should ask, is there a systematic way to go about this research? Well, if systematic, you mean a large organization um, with many branches and directors and so on, the answer is no. Uh, these were uh, discoveries that were made uh, in a way that I described just a moment ago. That is to say that somebody got to thinking and used the tools that were available, these very sophisticated tools, found something interesting, and then put connected the dots. And this is the way science has, conventional science, has been done for centuries. To have an idea first, to have the tools to test the validity of the idea, and then to do the experiment. And these examples I cite in the article uh, have followed that rule. Has the development of inhibitors of cancer-related growth pathways changed the goal of treatment? Is the goal now cancer control rather than cancer eradication? Well, I think everyone is interested in curing cancer. Um, it, 
that's uh, a noble goal, and I don't think we should set that aside or give up on it. I think cancer can be cured, as I indicated before in the example of the mouse leukemia, where uh, the leukemia can be completely and totally eradicated. There are a few cancers that can be cured now with chemotherapy, and of course surgery can cure early forms of cancer. But uh, I don't think that uh, this is the time, or any time, is a good time to give up on the idea that we can't cure cancer. We'll just have to learn how to control it. Now, this is not to say that controlling cancers is, is not a good idea. Of course, it's an excellent idea. And if you can control cancer and keep it quiet, um, that's a huge gain. Resistance to new cancer drugs is unfortunately quite common. What have we learned, for instance, from imatinib about resistance that can assist in developing the next generation of treatments? Yeah. So in the case of imatinib, um, the resistance uh, depends on a mutation in the enzyme, the tyrosine kinase enzyme, uh, which um, changes the shape of the molecule in a way such that the drug no longer fits in the pocket that uh, allows it to inhibit the enzymatic activity of the kinase. Um, as a result, there have been modified uh, variants of imatinib that have been developed, uh, which uh, were designed specifically to fit into the mutated pocket. And uh, this is not a new principle, but it's an interesting principle. And uh, it's one that shows uh, how resistance to chemotherapy could be overcome, at least in this particular way. New agents have been approved that act through the immune effector mechanisms. How do you see the field of immunologic therapy for cancer evolving over, say, the next decade? Yes, this is very important. Um, I didn't have uh, enough words in the, um, in the article to go into this, but this is an emerging field. Um, there are a few successes, um, some failures, but there's no doubt that the idea of harnessing the patient's own immune system to combat the cancer cell is a good idea. Uh, there are ways of doing this, uh, and uh, I think that uh, many laboratories and pharmaceutical industry are pursuing these ways in a very energetic uh, fashion. That being said, overall, you present a rather pessimistic outlook for the future of uh, cancer drug development. Are there other important success stories that uh, offer some reason for hope? I, I didn't mean to come off as uh, pessimistic as uh, you indicate. <clears throat> um, I, I'm not pessimistic. Uh, I am, in fact, optimistic. Um, I think we have to change tactics. 
I think um, the, the battle against cancer has um, been using a particular kind of strategy which um, is not very effective. But there's no reason to believe that if we choose the right tactic, uh, which is based primarily on a deep understanding of the molecular intricacies of the cancer cell, that uh, we will come out with effective treatments. And this point emphasizes that we need to know as much as possible about the molecular aspects of the cancer cells possible. Thank you, Dr. Schwartz. You're welcome.